They've watched Citizen Kane a combined 200 times. Elliot's first words were, I personally thought the use of Dutch angles was derivative in the 400 blows. In Nathan's favorite historical figure is Fritz Lang. Now they're bringing that snootiness to you with Magellan's at the Movies. First things first, before we get started with anything movie-related, I just thought we should do uh, a quick rest in peace for Kevin Conroy, who, he died last Friday, right? Yeah. Yeah, so shortly after we put out last week's episode, Kevin Conroy, iconic Batman voice actor, passed away. I was genuinely upset by this. Like when I saw the news as I was scrolling through whatever I was scrolling through, I, I was actually kind of bummed. I love Kevin Conroy. I've always been a huge fan of his voice work. And yeah, so I was kind of bummed. I agree. Uh, Kevin Conroy was a great actor. I've only seen a handful of episodes of Batman the Animated Series, but he's voiced Batman in like, dozens and dozens of things probably the second most uh well-known example of that would be the arkham games which i have played and which i think he's great in and yeah i've i've watched a few like tributes to him that included a bunch of video shout outs that he did for fans and stuff and he just seemed like a really nice guy so yeah i'm i too am legitimately sad about this you know i'm always uh, it's always sad when somebody dies, but you know, this is even more personally sad for me. Yeah, I mean, I remember us getting uh, Arkham City for the Wii U and playing through that, and he voices Batman in Arkham City. And yeah, I really think him and Mark Hamill in that game is close to Christian Bale and Heath Ledger in terms of a really fantastic Batman and Joker interaction and interplay and a huge part of that was obviously him kevin Conway. Mm -hmm. have you ever seen the videos of him doing other famous batman lines like he i saw a video of him reading the reading batman's last part at the end of the dark night you know when he and gordon are arguing about whether or not he should take the fall for joker's stuff it's pretty cool that is cool. I might have to look that up. I haven't seen that. That sounds really cool, though. All right. Well, started on a bit of a somber note. Well, let's... Um, there's a bit of tonal whiplash here now, which um, maybe is a bit of a reference to the film we're watching. <laughs> um, not to give away anything. But to, this week, we decided to do Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, which is a movie that came out this year from A24, which is every pretentious movie fans favorite production company and yeah it made a huge splash i want to say it was their highest grossing film yet it was a critical darling it for a time was number one on letterboxd a movie uh, sort of aggregation website now it's at 13 it was really high up on imdb's list 
almost every best picture prediction I see has this movie on it. I saw it when it came out. Elliot did not. So I thought this would be a neat time as we're kind of going into Oscar season to rewatch the movie and let's talk about it. It's one of the biggest, I think, stories of this year. Everyone loves it. Everyone thinks it really speaks to the zeitgeist of the current cultural moment. But what what do the Magellans think? You know, so let's get started. Elliot, what did you think? You, this was your first time seeing it. What did you actually, not what did you think? What did you think going into this movie? What had you seen about it? What was kind of your expectations going into the movie? Um, I had not seen that much, to be honest. Uh, I had seen some trailers for it. Didn't really seem like my kind of thing. Just seemed very chaotic and weird and sort of cartoony, which is not usually the kind of movie that I go in for. It's directed by a team of people, a duo of people called the Daniels. I don't know what what their names are both Daniel. I don't remember what their last names are. But they directed a movie called Swiss Army Man, which I watched and did not care for at all. So I was not... And then, Nathan, I know that you don't love this movie. Because I remember talking to you after you had seen it. So I was not really expecting much going into it. Okay. Well, I was I was expecting a ton. Because I watched it, yeah, in theaters way back in April, I think. And this movie, when it was getting a ton of buzz, when it was shooting up the rankings and all these websites. So I went into it with incredibly high expectations which maybe affected how i felt watching it then but so you kind of spoiled i don't really care for this movie and on second watch i didn't change my opinion a ton on it but what did you think on your first watch of this movie uh this movie was all over the place for me man there were times where i was like totally engrossed and i was right there with the movie i was really excited i wanted to learn more and then there were times where i was bored out of my mind and i was like can we just get this moving along and then there were times where i was just overwhelmed by the complete insanity of it and i was like this is just white noise so i really i this movie was just trip in more ways than one i i'm it's it's weird it created so many strong feelings in me that they all kind of canceled each other out and returned me to ambivalence by the end if that makes any sense like at the by the time the credits rolled i was just so tired of the whiplash from great to not so great that i was like yeah i don't this is this movie is really a movie. Wow. That's that's interesting because I think I was kind of in the same boat as you the first time I saw it, that there are sections that I do think are just incredibly inspired, creative, and very well done. And then there's other sections that I'm like, this is just not working in the slightest for me. And I think on this watch, this second watch, I really was able to nail down I think the pacing of the movie is just off. I think the way it's structured leads itself to a lot of, like, we're not 
getting to the next thing as fast as it feels like a movie with this much energy should be arriving at the next thing. That it takes so long sometimes to arrive at the next point that you, I think you are left with, like you're just watching white noise and you're like, what is the point of any of this? And so I think that's what, if, you know, you're predicting what I'm going to end up talking about a lot. Pacing is the thing that's really irked me after watching this and that I'm going to consistently hark on, harp on in this, uh, in this review. But let's, as a jumping off point, let's talk about the premise of the story and what you thought of the story or just this, I guess, just the story <laughs> as much as you can. Uh, well, the story is about this <clears throat> middle-aged uh, Chinese woman who emigrated to America against her father's wishes to be with a man she was in love with. And she learns over the course of a single day uh, where she's trying to fix... She's trying to basically not get arrested for the tax fraud that she absolutely committed. And... She learns that there's actually, there exists a multiverse uh, of possibilities, impossible Evelyn's. Her name is Evelyn, the main character. And uh, she's the least impressive Evelyn of all, in all the multiverse, which, uh, just side note. Can I just say that the presence of superlatives implies a limit to multiverses, right? That there is, that there, that there are limits for where people are um so that doesn't make a whole lot of sense but you know that's just that's just one of those things that i noticed because i'm really smart and observant but uh yeah that doesn't matter it doesn't matter that i'm awesome let's move on let's move on all right so yeah she she learns that uh the multiverse exists and that there's a way to kind of astrally project yourself into different it's so weird it does not make any sense at all how the verse hopping works because they talk about it like you're switching universes but the way it works in the movie is more like you sort of siphon off characteristics of other versions of yourself from the other universe but you stay in your own universe and it's sort of the effect kind of bleeds into the other universe a little bit. It's very, very strange. I don't understand it whatsoever. But anyway, the point is uh, there's a malevolent entity uh, called, oh gosh, Jobu Tabraki, who is hunting Evelyn's across the multiverses for unknown reasons, and she is she has built something called... Uh, the Everything Bagel, which is basically a bagel upon which she has used literally everything, everywhere, all at once in the universe as a toppings oh. for. And the effect of this is to create an essentially an old, a giga black hole that eats up different realities. So yeah, that's the basic plot, is Evelyn's trying to deal with this revelation that she's... Uh, had about the multiverse and also trying to stop Jobu Tabraki from killing her or, you know, doing something bad with said everything bagel. To begin with, ah, it's really hard. I definitely agree with you. There's so much in this film 
to talk like as possibilities to talk about. So I guess I, I think one of my first questions is, do you think this movie really pays off in terms of a multiverse setup in terms of creativity? Cause I think there's been, obviously this is not the only multiverse movie or piece of entertainment out there. There's, Doctor Strange 2, which came out this year. Rick and Morty is a long-running series that features multiversal travel fairly heavily. And then DC Comics. So a multiverse is not the most original idea in the universe. But I do think this movie does a very admirable job of being more creative with its multiverses than something like Doctor Strange 2, which I know you didn't see, Elliot, but I think is fairly boring in terms of jumping from multiverse to multiverse that you very rarely end up in one that's all that interesting. Whereas I think this movie does a pretty good job of jumping to interesting different multiverses and kind of seeing what those would be like, I suppose. Obviously my favorite, one of my favorite moments of this in the film is when Evelyn fights Jobu Tupaki, Joy, and they're like slipping in between multiverses and they end up in like one that's like car- like crayon drawings and then one where they're both, <laughs> oh shoot, I forgot, pinatas. And they're like hitting each other somehow as pinatas. I think it's very creative and it looks very neat. So what did you think of that sort of aspect of the film? I mean, it was fine. I feel like, to be honest, I was not nearly as impressed by it as you apparently were, because that all seemed fairly superficial to me. Like, there were only a few moments where they really went all in on the multiversal promise, and they were just montages of essentially people dressed differently. That's that's what I mean by... That's what I mean when I say that I feel like this... The multiverse in this is superficial, because... Most of the multiverses that we see are basically just this universe, except people made different choices, so they're wearing different clothes. You know, the husband is wearing glasses and a suit and tie. Uh, Evelyn's wearing a fancy dress, or Evelyn's wearing a housekeeper's uniform, or Jobu Tabraki is wearing, I don't know, an explosion of color that doesn't even make sense. I didn't think it was all that... I didn't think it was anything to write home about. Most of the most of the multiverses that they really spent any kind of significant time in were just about were less about seeing, you know, the possibilities of what another universe might look like and more about exploring the different life paths that Evelyn could have taken, which is fine, that's what they wanted to do for the story and for the character arc. It's just yeah, I feel like the multiverse elements were actually kind of underutilized, if anything. Which is why I was kind of hoping that verse hopping would actually be like verse hopping, like you would go somewhere else instead of just stay here, but suddenly you can swing around a SWAT shield like it's a pizza sign and you're a great sign twirler. I was hoping for more movement, I think. Sure. Well, they are... They are somewhat limited. I mean, it's an A24 movie. They don't exactly have gobs and gobs of cash to be throwing. And from my understanding from watching some interviews, most of the special effects were done 
largely practically. So it would have been hard for them to do really elaborate sort of other multiverses and really show what those would maybe look like. I'm really struggling with, you know, trying to get everything I kind of want to talk about. Okay, well then I'm going to talk about some things then. I, I'm going to, let's talk about stuff that we enjoyed about this movie. Sure. Um, so I think that performances are great across the board. Oh my gosh, I should have, I'm going to look up the cast so I can actually credit people directly. Okay. Hold please. Michelle Yeoh as Evelyn, she did a great job. Kei Hu Kwan uh, as Waymond, her husband, was really good. I have to say that uh, Stephanie Su, who played Jobu Tabaki slash Joy, Evelyn's daughter, I think she stole the show for me. Uh, I thought she was phenomenal. She was really good and really believable as a young woman who's kind of chafing against the constraints of the life that she's living and feeling kind of directionless and aimless. But she was also really good as a more sinister, kind of carefree type of antagonist, as somebody who's a lot more flippant, uh, a lot more loose. Um, so yeah, I think she was absolutely the standout for me. Some of the fight scenes were pretty good. I have to admit, I wasn't as impressed by them as some other people were, but, you know... That's just that's just gonna happen, and there were a lot of really neat uh, special effects shots. I think, like especially the ones where Jobu Tabraki would do the weird hand thing with Evelyn to kind of pull open a window between verses to show her where she was keeping the everything bagel. I think those looked really cool. Yeah, I'd I'd second everything you said about the actors. I love. The guy who plays Waymond, because I think Waymond is just a really great character. And I definitely agree. The girl who plays Joy is fantastic. She definitely has, I think, the hardest job because her character, I would say, is the most different from different versions of her. Whereas Waymond is pretty much the same. And even Evelyn is essentially the same character from universe to universe. As well as she does a really good job of, and this she's helped by the technical aspects of the film, that Joy is a genuinely intimidating antagonist, despite the fact that she's like a 20-something girl dressed in increasingly ridiculous outfits. Like her introduction where she kills the police officers, I think is very well done and a very cool and creative way of introducing this very intimidating sort of danger. And I would also agree the special effects. I also think the editing in this movie, just in terms of the sheer number of things that they had to shoot and then get to all happen at the same time, like things like when Evelyn's in one universe and then she's being affected by stuff happening in another one. So I can't imagine it was easy to get all of these pieces to fit together as well as I think they do end up fitting together. And it makes the movie very interesting to watch most of the time. I think the one place where it does get less interesting, and I'll echo what you kind of said, the fight scenes are not as good as I 
even like remember them being. I remember in the theater thinking they were pretty good, but watching it this time at home, I was like, this is really like Edgar Wright style fighting where it's much flashier than what's actually, like what's actually happening is very little interesting. It's just edited in a way where you think something interesting is happening. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think that a lot of the stuff that's happening is people just kind of flailing their limbs about in ways that are admittedly impressive, but in terms of the practical implements, in terms of how they could be practically implemented in a combat scenario, they're pretty ridiculous. And look, I don't I don't know that much about martial arts or how to fight or anything, but I do know that when you're just pinwheeling your arms around, that looks cool, but is probably very impractical when you're trying to incapacitate someone. Yeah. And I think that... Really, a lot of them, so I guess we're just going right now into things that we didn't like about the movie. A lot of them were too long. So the scene where she starts, where she really starts getting into verse hopping and she's doing all of these weird things to get different different abilities. Uh, she, you know... She doesn't actually know who she's summoning. She just miraculously gets the right people for the right situation, which is annoying. But whatever. Anyway, when she does the uh, the sign twirler, the that fight scene, um, and she uses the big SWAT shield like the sign to uh, to fight people, it lasts for a really long time, and everyone's doing that classic movie fight thing where there's a big group of people but most people are just kind of standing around thinking about their life choices while they wait for their turn to attack the hero and inevitably get dispatched with total ease so you know i think that most movies try to avoid showing how many people the hero is fighting because it doesn't make sense that they're not ganging up on them so they'll go more tight in, or they'll just have you know, a million edits a second to hide the fact that most people are not doing much. But this movie just didn't care. They, there they all were, kind of watching things happen. And it lasted for a really long time. And then there's like maybe three minutes after where they run back out, because they're in a an IRS building, and they run back out into the main offices and then there's another extended fight sequence. And so that's the moment where I was really bored. I was like, wow, we just had an elaborate action set piece. We're going right into another one. Can we please just move it along? Can we get back to the actual story? Yeah, that's exactly when I wrote in my notes, the pacing is the thing that's annoying me. Because yeah, the last like, 20 some minutes of the everything section of the film because the film separated into three sections everything everywhere all at once the last 20 minutes of everything is just her fighting and the fighting is in my opinion not all that interesting or exciting and i think the fighting is supposed to be somewhat buoyed by the jokes and i and since we're talking about negatives, I do not think this movie is very funny. 
I mean, I think watching it this time, there was one joke that I laughed at when she first... Well, I did laugh at Evelyn mispronouncing Jobu Tupaki's name every time. That was kind of funny. And then the first time she does something weird and the guy's like, oh, what the heck? I find people reacting to people doing weird things funny. Otherwise, most of the humor in this movie, in my opinion, is just like, here's this ridiculous thing. Isn't that ridiculous and unbelievably strange? I do think the 2001 monkey hot dog hand thing, that's a little funny, at least in terms of commitment to a bit. But on the whole, I do not find the movie all that funny, which results in me, like that fight scene at the end of everything, I think you're supposed to be kind of finding it like, oh, haha, they're trying to shove the thing up their butt. And that is not funny to me in the slightest. So I'm just sitting there like, this is lasting forever. I, I, a hundred, I'm, right there with you. I did not think this movie was very funny at all. And yeah, that the, I mean, the scene of, yeah, them trying to put things up their butt. That's just, yeah, fantastic. They're trying to put things up their butts. That's hilarious. Uh, but then, yeah, it just lasts for so long, them trying to do it. And then when they finally succeed, I don't know. I guess it's supposed to be funny that I don't even know. I don't know what's supposed to be funny about that. It's it's very juvenile and, you know, some people some people really go in for that kind of thing and that's that's fine, you know. If that's your taste, that's your taste. It's just not my taste. It's this this is definitely not my style of humor. Not the style of humor that I use or enjoy very much. I think that man, I don't know. I never really laughed at anything my favorite part was definitely uh, when Evelyn and Jobu were both rocks in the universe where life didn't emerge uh, at all. That was my favorite scene of the whole movie because it was a lot, it was very quiet, it was very creative. It actually created some space for the movie to breathe and let some of the character dynamics and the story work that was going on actually sink in a little bit because I think that. Like you said, or maybe you haven't said this, but maybe you will because your thing is pacing, that the pacing really hurts this movie's ability to set up and then have payoff in its emotional beats. But there actually was some of that work going on in the rock scene. And it was kind of funny that they're that they're rocks and somehow communicating to each other. But yeah, I think that was probably the thing that I found funniest in the whole movie. Yeah. Well, since you brought it up, let's talk about this. I think this is kind of the reason a lot of people have gravitated to the movie, not necessarily because it's funny or creative or anything like that. Although I think people who enjoy the movie do certainly find it all of those things. I think the thing that's gravitated a lot of people to this movie is the second act sort of twist where the movie becomes a significantly more emotional venture than you might have originally thought. And I think that's kind of precipitated by that scene that you're talking about, which is also my favorite scene in the movie with the rocks. I think it's very funny. It's a silly image. And it just goes to show how much like the visual language of cinema is that just by like doing shot reverse shot with rocks, like you can communicate things like their choices in editing that scene 
communicates things, even though they're literally like they literally just went to a cliff and filmed two rocks. I think the fact that you can still extract genuine like human emotion from that is really cool and clever. But I think what draws a lot of people to this movie is the second and third act sort of philosophical discussion that goes on where Joe Boo, Joy, feels that the existence of the multiverse and she kind of takes a nihilistic sort of viewpoint that because everything's so big, nothing really matters. And so she just wants to die. Whereas Evelyn then has to find a more positive way so that she can save her daughter. And so the movie becomes much more about Evelyn and Joy than it is Evelyn defeating some huge multiversal evil. So what did you think of that sort of twist? Do you feel like those emotional beats kind of landed for you? I had a bunch of other questions, but you've been saying that you get annoyed when I ask you like six or seven. So just those two, do you you think it was good? Did you think it was well done? That sort of emotional heft of the back half of the film. Well, usually something being well done kind of feeds into it being good and vice versa, but whatever. Um, to be honest, no, I did not really, I, it did not really do much for me, the emotional heart of this movie, because I had never, we did not have nearly enough time to establish Joy and Evelyn's relationship for it, for what happens to feel really realistic or impactful like at the very end when joy is talking about you know being really tired and being in a lot of emotional turmoil and just not wanting to be around her mother because it makes it worse that i that just so came out of nowhere for me because yeah their relationship seems strained in the beginning but not so much that i got the sense that joy wanted to literally cut her mother off And, you know, she seemed very, yeah, their relationship seemed strained, so I also didn't really buy this sudden about-face that Evelyn did of suddenly, she said that she always wants to be around her daughter, and that even though her daughter had done all these things that had hurt her, but yeah, there was just no setup for that. I mean, we didn't see any kind of... there was no hints that Joy was really struggling or that her mother was making it worse or that there was some kind of failure to communicate uh, between the two of them. I feel like they both knew exactly what the problem was. They had both told each other. Joy had told Evelyn that she didn't want to hide the fact that she was dating a girl from her grandfather and that she didn't really she didn't really like the chaos of living in the laundromat. Evelyn, in turn, had told her daughter that she did that she didn't that she felt like her daughter was kind of cutting her off, and that she didn't like the fact that she had a tattoo or anything like that. So it just felt, yeah, it just felt totally unearned by the end when they're having their big emotional moment because I had no context for any of it except the stuff that they had told us about. But there's the age-old rule of showing and not telling. Sure. I don't know if that was necessarily my issue with the emotional sort of heft of the movie. I think 
I think it's reasonably well set up. I'm also like a child when it comes to movies. So if a movie like says something is true, I'm like, checks out to me, dude. Yes, that makes sense. It's like they were fighting. Sure. I believe you, Mr. Movie, that you are telling me the truth. So I think my issue was more, it's a very aggressive tonal shift that I don't think the movie really earns for me. Uh, I think obviously with everything we're saying here with emotional beats of the movie, this is just for us because obviously given how critically acclaimed and beloved the movie has become, it resonates with a large amount of people. And I know a lot of my friends who I saw the movie with, the movie really resonates with them. But I think it just doesn't earn either the setup. And then I think it especially, at least in my opinion, does not earn the final payoff that I do not think the final kind of philosophy they land on to get joy back I don't, and this is where it's hard to review things like this because I just genuinely don't, I like fundamentally disagree with the premise that they're working with in terms of the universe being a giant unfeeling nothingness and what you would sort of do with that. I reject the premise so I don't have to deal with the fallout, but I don't think they really get to a place where I believe Joy would turn around and not go into the everything bagel, at least in my opinion. And so that makes the emotional, like kind of ending of the movie feel a little hollow to me because I'm like, I think this is just happening so you can have a happy ending. I don't think you really earned this, but that's just me. Um, well, I definitely, I also reject the premise. I don't think that it really works within the context of the premise either because First of all, I'm not sure what Jobu Tabaraki's problem is that I guess that because things are random, things don't matter or that like be, that somehow the disproportionate sizes of the multiverse and herself make her feel really small and therefore insignificant, which I, I don't I don't really know what she's talking about. I guess she thinks that... Elliot's actually never been depressed a day in his life, so anytime a movie character is experiencing anything like that, Elliot's like, I don't understand this. You're sad without a reason? It makes no sense. That's hilarious. <laughs> I... Um, Just shut up. <laughs> yeah, I guess because everything's everything's happening, everything that's possible is already happening which somehow, I don't know, I'm just going to stop trying to understand it. I don't think it makes sense. I don't understand what what is the root of her existential crisis. And then I also, I agree, I definitely don't think that they really, that they really repudiate it. I mean, the moral of the movie is ostensibly be nice, which is fairly simplistic. And also, like, at the end, when her mother is saying... You do all these things that make me upset, and it doesn't make sense that I still always want to be with you, and, you know, that I still love you. So, the ultimate counterpoint that the movie is making is that, yes, nothing matters, but feel free to act like it does, which is stupid. I mean, well, okay, you know, 
again, let me let me walk that back. If that's if that works for you, if you find that inspiring, if you if you know if you do resonate with that, then great. You know, it it didn't resonate for me personally. I did not think that it made sense. I did not think that it was really any kind of rebuttal to a not a school of nihilism that didn't really make sense in the first place. But that's just me. So in my personal opinion, I don't think that the philosophy really contributed anything to the emotional beats. If anything, for me, it detracted from them because I agree with you. I don't think it was it. I don't think it was very good philosophy. Yeah. And I realize we both sound like incredibly, I don't know if pretentious, but we just sound very snobby, which I can't help. So I don't really care. But I do think. There's something to be said for movies that tackle incredibly large questions of human existence, such as why are we here and what should we do while we are here? I think there's something to be said that most movies that try and tackle this usually leave it extraordinarily open-ended. Just for an example, and I'm not saying that I love this movie to death, but as an example of a movie that tackles some of these questions... 2001 a space odyssey that's a movie that tackles some of the questions of like what does it mean to be human what does it mean to exist and the movie famously leaves all of these questions open to the interpretation of the viewer which you could criticize as a bit of a cop-out but i think unless you're like Rene descartes and you have the next branch of human philosophy I don't know if you should necessarily be trying to tackle something as huge as nihilism in a film, but at the same time, on the same coin, uh, I think there's something to be said that you, the fact that so many people resonate with this movie shows that they found something that a lot of people connect to. And so I guess it's unfortunate in that sense that I don't connect with it, and I guess Elliot doesn't connect with it either. But I don't think I can dock the movie a huge number of points. I just think it's something that doesn't make me want to rewatch the movie. I'd rather just reread The Lord of the Rings or something. Well, I'd always rather reread Lord of the Rings than do most activities. But um... maybe I should have chosen a worse book. I'd rather reread Infinite Jest, I guess. But I think that's pretty good. Okay, well, I've, um, yeah, now you've made me forget what I was going to (laughs) say. Well, I guess I would like to say, just before we... I guess, oh, hey, okay, uh, hold on. Yeah, I also think that the, the other prong to this movie's kind of defense of living life, not like you're a depressed nihilist, uh, which Joe Butabraki is... It comes from the scene where Evelyn is fighting her way through Tabraki's cronies and basically fulfilling their wishes, like giving them what they want. So it seems like the other part of not being a nihilist is just doing what makes you happy, which for me skates a bit too close to like hedonism because some of those things, I mean, what was, what, some of them were like, you know, the one guy just wanted to be controlled by a raccoon. Okay, is that really, like, spiritually 
or if you don't want to talk about spirits, is that really emotionally fulfilling? Or is that just like, is that just a coping mechanism, you know? Same with the guy who wanted who wanted to, you know, be, uh, I don't know what the term is, dominated, I think. Um, I'm exposing myself for the sheltered, <laughs> the sheltered, naive young man that I really am. But, uh, yeah, that doesn't seem like, that doesn't seem like it's actually fulfilling. It seems like it's just something that makes you feel good for a little bit, but you can't be dominated or have a raccoon sitting on your head controlling you every minute of the day. Yes, you can. Surely you would have to find, or, you know, it just seems like, yeah, I, for one thing, I don't think that the message, just do whatever makes you happy, I don't think that's a very good message because I think that there are other obligations that people have that should outweigh pleasure. And also, I don't really think that that fixes anything. Like, I don't think that having a raccoon on your head is actually going to fix that guy's real problem. Uh, the real problem is just that he's depressed, and I don't think that the raccoon is the cure for what ails him. Again, it's possible that I'm, it's probable even, that I'm bringing too much of my own personal outlook to this movie. Um, so I don't want to, I don't want to harp too hard on it. It's just, for me personally, I did not find the movie's message to be either very philosophically sound or all that inspiring or heartwarming or anything yeah. like that. I don't know if, I think the point in that sequence where she's fighting her way up the stairs in that fashion, I think that was more from Wayman's point that he, he didn't want her to fight in a violent manner. And so instead she was fighting in a, a kind manner by giving these people what they wanted. I don't think that was espousing any sort of philosophy of like, just do whatever you want because it's whatever. I think that was just the way she was fighting because she was trying to be a nicer, better person, which I do think Wayman's kind of point that he makes, and I think it's done very well in the scene. I think that scene with them in the alleyway where Wayman says, firstly, when he says, I think in another universe, I'd be happy doing laundry and taxes with you. I think that is just an incredibly romantic thing and is a very, I think it's a great thing. But I also think when he says, like, you think I'm nice because I'm naive, but I'm nice because, like, I understand that it would be so much easier to just be a jerk. And so I'm making the choice to, like, put good into the world. I think that's a very nice, happy sort of philosophy that I certainly would espouse. But I think... In terms of you saying that this just didn't, you know, connect with you philosophically, I think it's just one of those things that a movie runs into. Like I said, with the whole example with 2001, as soon as a movie tries to tackle something this big, you're necessarily going to end up alienating whatever portion of your audience doesn't connect with the philosophy you're trying to espouse or put forward. So... I think it's kind of inevitable in some ways. I think that that's pretty much everything I've got in my notes that I wanted to talk about, Elliot. Yeah, I don't really have anything else. I think, I still think that the movie is making 
some kind of do what makes you happy or do whatever statement. Because at the end, again, when she's talking to Joy, she's like, we can do whatever we want. It doesn't matter. Or she, maybe she says, it doesn't matter. We can do whatever we want. Or something something along those lines, which, yeah, goes back to what I was talking about. Well, I still think that it's saying we can do whatever we want. Nothing matters. But I think it's coming at that with the crux of we can do whatever we want. So let's choose to do something positive and good. I think then you run into issues and this is, I was a philosophy minor in undergrad. So this is this coming out. Then you run into issues. Oh, wow. I know I'm never, I'm never going to beat the charges that I'm just an incredibly pretentious upper class snob with everything. And that being a philosophy minor is not going to help. But as soon as you introduce this idea of like nothing matters so we can do whatever we want, but be sure to do good. I mean, you're affirming and denying the same thing in the same breath that you're saying nothing matters, but be sure to do good. Eh, You can't say both of those things because if nothing matters, then why does it matter if you do good? And if you have to do good, then doing good matters. So I think it's kind of hard. I also got some like interstellar uh, (laughs) love TARS sort of vibes from <laughs> where she's like, why would I do all love, tars, love. Love, tars, love. <laughs> that I kind of got that vibe, which isn't a bad thing. Cause I do, I think it's easy to make fun of the way Matthew McConaughey says love Tars, <laughs> but I do think uh, what Nolan is doing in that scene is kind of neat, <laughs> but it just reminded me. I think it's, I think it makes more sense and it's done better than, anything in this movie. Wow. All right. What were you saying? But to, yeah, the only other thing I want to say is that Jamie Lee Curtis's character was, I, I do not know why she was in this man. I, the fact that they tried to give her an arc out of nowhere at the last minute of being a grouchy, a grouchy Gus because she felt like she was unlovable, I was like, whoa, where did this come from? Because A, I don't really care about this character having not spent any significant time with her or gotten any significant insight into her character, except now when you're basically trying to wrap up her character. And B, why does she... I mean, there are so many other people that Evelyn could go to and try to comfort... Why the IRS lady? I mean, I'm not saying that she's not worth being comforted because obviously everyone's worth being, everyone's worth getting that kind of helping hand or something, but it just doesn't make sense within the context of the story why she tries to reach out to this random IRS lady instead of trying to reach out to, say, her father. And I feel like there was a lot of potential to have a satisfying arc for her father of him letting people go, you know, having let his daughter go because he was afraid of losing her or something. I think that there was a lot more, there was a lot more potential for something in that character than was actually used. So yeah, that's the last thing I had to say. Yeah. Well, and they kind of try and pull that out also kind of at the tail end and make up a character arc for him. So I kind of agree i feel like i've really ragged on this movie just because i think i'm a contrarian so anytime other people really love something and then i'm not a hundred percent on board with that i end up bashing it way more than it maybe deserves 
because I do, I do like large portions of this film. And I do think that like the rock scene and a lot of kind of the beginning sequences are really cool and really clever. And then pacing wise, I also think the last, and this is the last thing I'll say before we can go into ratings. The last like 40 minutes of this movie have like eight different new like, whoa, mind change moment, revelation things. It's awful. It's like watching the end of Inception if you hate Inception. that I feel like the end of Inception kind of takes a while because it's all of these things happening at the same time ostensibly. But in reality, it's taking like 30 minutes for like five minutes of actual movie time to happen. And I feel the same way about this ending, that it's like 30 minutes of movie time, of like having to watch the movie. You have to watch 30 minutes in real life. But then in the movie, it's supposedly like five minutes, four minutes, because it's basically just comprised of like her talking to the IRS agent, her talking to Joy, her fighting her way up the stairs in slow motion. Like not a ton happens, but it takes a really long time for not a lot to happen. And I remember in the theater, I was also like, this movie is never going to end. And then watching it at home, I was also like, this is taking way too long. The movie should be like 20 minutes shorter, in my opinion. I realized I started that by saying I've been dogging on the movie too much and then proceeded to diss it some more. But I do, I do think there's a lot here. I think it's obvious that this was made by like genuinely creative directors who had a lot of passion for what they were making and really went all out on trying to make it. Also, this movie has, the casting director is Sarah Haley Finn and she's a co-producer of the film. Wow. (laughs) Sarah Haley Finn being the person I mentioned last week in the Godzilla episode. Let's, let's start wrapping it up or let's, you know, start doing our last section. All right, Elliot, what's, uh, what's your rating for the film? My rating, for the reasons I've cited, um, <clears throat> there's just so much in this movie kind of working against it's working against each other. So many factions of things that are good and things that are bad. Performances, uh, cool camera work, good special effects, uh, decent fighting, and also fighting against undercooked characters, poor character development, poor message, messaging, ultimately, that it's sort of, yeah, like I I think what I said at the beginning, that it just sort of reduced me to ambivalence, that it actually creates an equilibrium right at the center, so I'm going to give it just a C, just right in the middle. Yeah, I think it's a bit better for me, I think the technical aspects especially on this watch, I thought were really neat. I really love all of the actors. I think they do a really fantastic job. And I think there's some genuinely very good moments, specifically the rock scene and then the scene in the alley that's just a scene from Chunking Express, but done not quite as well, is still one of the best scenes in the movie. And so because of that, it's like a 6.6, 6.5 for me. I think it's better than... I think I feel more positively towards it than you do, but I still do not really see the hype behind it. Well, I understand the hype. I just don't think it's there for me. A couple of edgelords right here. 
fighting against the consensus. I know. We've hated every movie we've reviewed from 2022 because we didn't like Nope. We didn't like Jurassic World. And now we've watched this and we didn't like this. What's next? I didn't hate Nope. Well, we didn't love Nope. Yeah, I hated Jurassic World. <laughs> if we had reviewed Banshees of Sharon or Tar, we, it would have been a different story. But then nobody would have listened to it. Yeah. So, Oh, well. All right, well, let's uh, let's go into recommendations. Elliot, you can go first because you stole my recommendation. So you did not. You know, Elliot's recommending a movie we both thought of to recommend for this movie. Yes. I actually thought of a recommendation myself this time. And then when we were talking before we started recording, it transpired that we had indeed thought of the same movie. Um, and that movie is The Lego Movie. Uh, which is a 2014 animated children's movie. Very good one uh, at that. The reason I chose it as a recommend is because I think that there's a lot of overlap in terms of the central characters and the kinds of the kind of character that they are because in the Lego movie, the main character is Emmett. And just like Evelyn, the thing that's special about him is that he's not very special at all. I actually, when... When uh, the Alphaverse Waylon was saying to Evelyn, you can do anything because you're not good at any... You you can do everything because you're not good at anything. I was literally thinking of Vitruvius's line in the Lego movie when he's like, your mind is already so prodigiously empty that there is nothing to clear away in the first place, which is a fantastic line. <laughs> But yeah, they're both kind of about, the, both characters are about how there is something special in every person, and that just because somebody is not outwardly super impressive doesn't mean that they're not worth anything or that they don't have anything to say. I think that the Lego Movie's message is a lot more, I resonated with it a lot more than Everything Everywhere's. I think it's a lot more heartwarming. I even would make the argument that it's more complex uh, than Everything Everywhere's, despite being a kid's movie. And yeah, it definitely has the same madcap frenetic energy. But again, I think it's done a lot better in the Lego movie. And I think that the Lego movie is hilarious. Uh, definitely funnier than Everything Everywhere. So I would strongly recommend the Lego movie to anyone, or and especially people who want some similar character work to what Evelyn's doing in Everything Everywhere all at once. I obviously agree, since I was going to recommend that. But, yeah, the movie's hilarious. I love the Lego movie. I might rewatch it tonight. It's so good. Uh, mine is a bit different than Elliot's. Mine is The Truman Show, which is from 1990-something. Can't remember the actual year. But it's a Jim Carrey movie. He plays Truman who discovers, and this isn't a spoiler because it's just the premise of the movie, who discovers that he's living in a television show about himself, that he's in a manufactured universe dedicated to being a show about him, Truman, the Truman Show. And so he kind of goes through, I would consider not, it's not exactly the same, but it's a similar sort of character arc to Evelyn where he discovers his true role in the wider scope of things and then he has to grapple with what this means and what he wants for himself it's a super funny movie jim carrey does a fantastic job 
even though he's not really known for his dramatic acting, I think this movie is very well done in that respect. It's incredibly clever. I think the writing in this movie is amazing. The premise is incredibly inspired. And yeah, the movie's a ton of fun. I think it's very funny. So I think anyone should watch The Truman Show. It's a classic. Stone Cold classic. Looks like Elliot's looking up something. Uh, yeah, I've just, you know, I have a lot of stuff to do. And so I'm kind of, kind of setting up the next, uh, my next project for once we're done here. All right. Well, so I can get right into if, it. If that's the case, then, uh, thank you so much for listening. This was one of my favorite episodes to record because Elliot hadn't seen everything everywhere. So this, I was genuinely finding out his opinions as you were finding out the opinions, which was really fun for me. So, uh, Elliot, do you have any I'd just like to echo Jobu Tabraki's sentiment that life is hard and full of disappointments. Can I just say it's Jobu Tabaki, not Tabraki? No, it's what are you talking about? No, it's not. And it's also Waymond, not Waylin. It's Waymond, like Mund. Oh, dang! You're right on both counts. Tupaki. <laughs> yeah, I left it in because I think it's going to be funny for other people to get increasingly upset with you as you mispronounce both of the characters' names throughout the entire episode. <laughs> or I could do like a, right. <laughs> like a, a really bad edit, so every time you say his name, it just inserts Jobu Tabaki. <laughs> yeah, great. One, I'd like to add to one of the disappointments of life is having you as a brother. Wow, thanks. <laughs> All right. Great job, Elliot. Uh, thanks for listening again. We'll be back next week with another edition of Magellan's at the Movies. <laughs>